Hi, everyone, and welcome to Another Kind of Wealth podcast with me, Lottie Leaf. I'm the founder of the Jura Society, a platform and private client consultancy focused on crafting a deeper connection between wealth and wellness. We aim to inspire and educate women to take control of their financial future. I have the pleasure of being able to speak with some of the best in the business, and now I get to share this with you. So come on in and join us as we hear all about today's topic. Early afternoon. Um, happy Thursday. Hope you're having a brilliant day and welcome to the next of our In Conversation series. Delighted to be joined by the brilliant Jess Miller. Apologies for anybody who's not able to join us live now. We have a couple of technical hitches, but that is what Instagram does best. So I can see the brilliant to join and we're going to have a wonderful conversation all about private client investigations. And there she is. Hello, darling. How are Ooh. you? I am not having the greatest day with technology and now using my laptop as a phone stand, which is obviously what it was created for. <laughs> exactly. Well, did you know what? That's pretty much what I do here as well. So we can't, we, we have to do with what we've got. Um, but I gave a little brief introduction on what we will be covering. And for anybody who doesn't know Jess, she is the brains behind Strella Advisory. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into what she actually does because it is a brilliant world of very technical very competent amazing things so we're also specifically going to be talking about finding assets in divorce and disputed inheritance cases which is pretty juicy so Jess welcome thank you for being here and first of all let's kick it off tell us about you your role what you do who you help Sure. Uh, so I do corporate and private investigations, and I've been doing this since 2009 when I joined the industry. And I set up my firm, Strella, in 2017 to focus really on the private client world. So I work a lot with high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals and family offices on disputes, both commercial and family orientated, like you said, inheritance and divorce cases quite a lot. I've always had a focus on um, the former Soviet Union and the GCC. That's where most of my clients come from. And I basically find information that will assist them in resolving problems that they're facing personally or commercially. Mm, brilliant. Okay, this is very exciting. So as a girl as well, I think in this industry, it's important to point out that there aren't many of you. And I think there's huge kudos to be in this environment. And so what skills do you think are required to be a successful investigator? And, you know, what, what skills have you got that aid you to do your job so well? Um, so there, it's always been a big debate in investigations. And I've had this with my colleagues as well, as to whether investigators are born or it's something that you can just train to do. Um, which sounds a bit egomaniacal, but there we go. I, I think to an extent that quite a lot of um, investigative qualities are those that sort of innate in people and then the training draws it out of you. So it is, you have to be quite obstinate and quite tenacious and you need to be able to assimilate large amounts of data and be very good at identifying patterns and having good um, kind of factual recall as well, particularly in, say, asset recovery investigations. There's a certain amount of creative thinking as well, because investigations are there as a problem solving tool. So part of when you're talking to clients is thinking about how the things that I do can help them. And then what the exposure to investigations and training over time does is sort of draw those things 
out of you and give you the kind of skills basis to do your job. Yeah, okay. Very Liam Neeson, huh? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Liam Neeson style. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, tell us a little bit more than sort of what Strella does and, you know, what, what you're, you're trying to solve and how your company and the sector are going to be growing, what the opportunities look like in the current day and age. I think, so the area I focus on, I absolutely love, which is the private client side. I like working really closely with individuals. I like thinking about how investigations can assist them. For example, divorce cases where you think one spouse is, you know, hiding assets from the other and it's my job to go out and you know test to see if this is the case and if it is what's being hidden where and how um working on say reputational matters for example where a client is subject to certain allegations in the press and you're interrogating that to see is there an evidential basis for what has been said and also are there other factors that haven't been considered and is what is being presented the full picture or are there other things that need to be to be thought about um i find that work really fascinating and particularly on on the divorce and on the inheritance side it's an area that's been quite neglected by professional investigators for a long time so my industry the focus has been generally on working for litigators and dispute resolution lawyers and working for say corporates as well on the kind of due diligence side and what no one thus far has really wanted to wade into are yeah those disputes that are by nature more personal and more emotional they are by definition slightly more difficult the client management is very different to working with a GC in a you know listed company or something um so for me I find the fact that there is this niche to plug into which is the work I love doing anyway really fascinating um but overall I think the industry is it's really professionalizing a lot when it first started it was kind of people's maybe second or third career so you have lots of people come out of say intelligence services or the foreign office or the army or they've gone banking and the law and then they've come into investigations but now you've got a couple of generations of people like me who've, who've done it as a career from the off so that really changes how it works where you want training and progression and kind of you know a, a plan for what you can see yourself doing down the line and that creates um it creates kind of subject expertise within investigations. So people that are good at asset recovery, people who do specialize in due diligence, people who do specialize in investor state arbitration, much like lawyers do. And I think that that's really changing. It's great to see it become more professional, become considered, yeah, just more of a career opportunity and something that you can train and hone your skills at rather than something that people come to, you know, where they've done like, because that's not not a bad thing but it just changes the dynamic a lot yeah i think that's really a, an important thing to to see and, and also that you're riding the crest of this wave as well and championing it as a as an industry you know uh option for a lot of individuals to go through as a career um and then so we're going to look at actually sort of you mentioned due diligence which i always find is a tongue twister um litigation support what does this mean yeah, what the hell? <laughs> so, um, so 
basically you kind of split these investigations into kind of pre-event and post-event and they are quite different the pre-event stuff is mostly due diligence um which will be for um say financial institutions who are going to be onboarding clients and they've got their kyc and aml requirements but beyond that also reputational considerations um so it may be that an individual's source of wealth is completely legitimate but they may not have a reputation which aligns with the principles and ethos of an institution that wants to to bring them on um and so do you, yeah due diligence will be either very sort of public record focused just skimming what's out there in the press what's out the out there on the internet about a person these are the things that a client should worry about do you want to proceed with the, this person or not then you can do a sort of more enhanced version when you're working within a jurisdiction and there isn't free press. So you're trying to find sources who can provide more information. That's due diligence. Reverse due diligence is doing that to yourself. And it's, it's very useful in litigation, also increasingly in divorce cases where you're going to get a load of mudslinging and you did this, you did that, you're this, you're this, whatever. And you know the other side are going to be digging into who you are and your conduct and your reputation. The easiest way to manage that is to do it yourself first. And then your team, your advisors know what you're going to be dealing with. So that's due diligence, rest yeah. due diligence. So pretty crisis management then. And it's, it's yes, yeah. And, all, and kind of averting a crisis if you know that the kind of information about you that the other side has is going to be really damned if something goes into cause it's there forever and if it's picked up by a journalist and put into the press it's there and so one needs to be really careful before you start playing this game of just kind of throwing mud at somebody else because what comes back at you and sticks around forever might not be so glorious um Anyway, and then litigation support is investigations to support commercial litigation and other disputes. It can be finding assets for your counterparty, finding evidence to support a to support legal action, um, finding witnesses who will be able to testify to to certain facts. Um, and that's all, yeah, done predominantly for lawyers in litigation and arbitration. So, so what kind of things would be be litigating against? If, you know what what might a scenario look like um gosh so i've worked for example earlier in my career on a litigation that was being brought for um gross misconduct and professional negligence on behalf of a contractor that had been hired um to do certain work and they had seemingly botched it and the you know it had overrun by eight miles costs had increased and the client felt that the contracting party had done this intentionally, that they'd been distracted by more interesting clients and um, and therefore had not shown up and done what they were supposed to do. And in that instance, it was looking to find witnesses who knew the firms, who knew the project and who had insight into what was going on against which you could initially test this hypothesis as to if it had been you know negligence kind of through intent um and then if they you know did have um relevant information and relevant viewpoint that would they then consider testifying on behalf of the client so that's kind of 
litigation where where there is a dispute about facts it will be finding um trying to find some kind of truth or some kind of underlying evidence for what your client thinks has happened yeah absolutely so you're working on the side of the uh solicitors most of the time yeah um and on behalf of the client and so in corporate investigations where does that fit into the life cycle of a dispute i know you've kind of touched on that but you know it's also going from like cause to effect um Mm -hmm. where would you come in investigators really can come in kind of at any point um something like trying to look to test the hypotheses or to try and find sources and then witnesses is really at the beginning of the process where the lawyers are wanting to understand that they are going to have a a substantial enough case to bring ditto with asset tracing at the outset this is where you're going to be bringing a claim probably against a person and you want to know that they're going to have the funds or the assets to pay up against an arbitral award or a judgment at the end because if you're going to go into litigation or you're going to go to an arbitration and spend astronomical amounts of money on this process, the worst thing in the world is that you get to the end of it and you've got your amazing judgment that says X owes me tens of millions and they don't have it. Is that like the Barclays case that's come at the moment where he's refusing to pay his uh, wife? Oh, I think it doesn't didn't the judge say he has he's just refused. It's not that he's broke. He's just not doing it. Oh, yeah. Well, he's, yeah he's <laughs> Which like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I'd rather not actually yeah <laughs> I mean <laughs> but there there is that well on the subject of where investigators fit in there is also the recovery when you do have a judgment or an award and the other side is just refusing to pay I think the particularly in arbitration the kind of voluntary compliance is so minimal particularly in investor state so you have an award against a country or a government and they're just like nah we're not going to pay. And what are you going to do? Um, and then that's so, where the recovery bit comes in. You send in the head. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So if somebody, if somebody is not going to pay up on an order or a judgment, then you come in right at the end. And that's where you're looking around the world for assets up mm. to the value of what's owed to you. Like when they go and they try and find yachts and the yachts move jurisdiction and they're like, yeah. oh, it's not anymore. Oh, I've never seen this yacht before. Um, you know, and then someone's got a photo of him or her, you know, swanning around on said yacht, some random place on the other side of the world, that kind of thing. Yeah. And anyway, you're basically yacht chasing because once, you know, it'll move into a jurisdiction. If you want to kind of seize a yacht, it will go into a jurisdiction. Then you have to run off to the court to have to get the papers, to have that yacht frozen, run down, serve them, say this yacht is and not going anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, meantime, the, the yacht's gone. It's the same with them. Um, there's a lot of uh, it was kind of like glory, and it's sort of sexy to do the same thing with private jets as well. But they're they're so mobile. If you think like a yacht can move, I mean a jet that's gone um so there the yeah there is that sort of running around trying to find stuff but ideally you know you're trying to find things that are a bit more static like a property rather than um trying to run after or a yacht but... art on a yacht that's now on a private jet which has now been shot to the moon or something and it's like it yeah exactly <laughs> put my helicopter on spacex and sent it off with elon musk yeah it's like oh no longer no longer a problem um so so that brings us nicely into asset recovery so what is it and and 
what are because in my head and i'm sure with a lot of others what we see in films is the heavies go in and they you know knock on the doors and they go give us the money i'm sure it's not quite that brutal but what are the more um uh you know uh, <laughs> uh professional ways of, of doing asset recovery okay so i think the ones that knock on the door and say we're taking your stuff are bailiffs <laughs> yeah <laughs> I can, but I do not own an Alsatian or a baseball bat or any <laughs> kind of like intimidatory accessories. Um, asset recovery is finding a portion of, or sometimes the entirety of what generally in my cases, a person owns and the mechanisms through which they own them. So you are looking for everything from uh, stakes in companies, properties, jets, yachts, luxury assets now, art collections, wine collections, race horses, um, anything that's got a monetary value, but you're also having to demonstrate to an evidential level that a particular person is the ultimate beneficial owner of a certain asset. Um, where you've got tax structuring wealth advisors who are going to be putting things into trusts or creating really tax efficient structures for the ownership of particular assets what that does is also most of the time obscure the identity of the person who owns it mm -hmm. so part of the work of the investigator is effectively trying to demonstrate that link around the offshore structure and say well actually at the top of the chain is this person and a particular villa in the south of France or a particular yacht is actually owned by X. So it is yeah, that kind of- Company that's in Malta that, you know, exactly. at one point in the wife's name and now she's gone missing and ooh, we have no idea. Yeah, all, all jurisdictions where, say a yacht that's registered in the Seychelles or something where you're actually, you're not even going to get, and you might see a couple of directors of a company, but you're not going to get anything really beyond that so you need to look at evidence of the you know the usage of the yacht who's been seen on it where it's going it's been put in people's instagrams those those kind of things because yeah. these jurisdictions are not going to give up this information without disclosure but you can only get that if you've got a case to say cough up the name we think it's this person and I guess also a key point is actually um, the infrastructure of these jurisdictions, because if you're going to knock on the door for like some person in outer Mongolia and, you know, they're not going to have the, uh, you know, the, the tech or the actual record keeping ability to be able to provide that perhaps sometimes. And then if it is, if it's a case like that, there's one that I remember from years ago where the shareholder just like lived out in a shack somewhere in Russia and... I think his name had been used without him even really knowing. But once you get that, you're like, you are not the owner of like 50% of the shares of this company in where, you know, in the BVI. That's just ridiculous. Um, so you can, you have to look at that kind of like ground level and look at all of these people. So it doesn't even necessarily matter that that individual doesn't have the infrastructure just looking at it going, this is not plausible mm. <laughs> this is just not yeah. a possibility <laughs> yeah like, 
um no i like that and then so let's go back to sort of um the more day-to-day and more realistic cases that we might come across in terms of divorce or disputed inheritance how might that look um in in terms of the asset tracing it can look generally sort of two camps so there's divorces i've done where you're basically looking for everything and you're trying to find everything at the outset because to support Divorce proceedings somewhere, you may be trying to get freezing orders in other jurisdictions, but you can only get that if you know the amount you want to freeze, which will be 50% of something, but you need to find out what the something is. And that's what I do. Um, Stid put together the, you know, the map of the, of what we think generally the husband um, has and how it's owned and where it's owned. And mm. that will be, yeah, looking for the entirety of somebody's holdings Mm. the other times that investigators will come in in divorce is where it's suspected that somebody hasn't put down everything on their form e and their wife may have some suspicions that you know i I would say it's the wife and the husband but generally it is the wife that's trying to find stuff that the husband is hiding um Ultimate equality will be when I'm working for a husband who thinks his megabucks wife is hiding stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yet. so you're, the wife will probably have some knowledge or understanding that maybe he's got things in certain places or has been doing business there or, or whatever it is. And then that's my job is effectively to kind of test that hypothesis to look in those jurisdictions and to see if he has missed off something or mm. assets have been moved or like the um Ahmedov case where assets have been transferred to the son and he was holding them on trust for his father uh, so they're the sort of two oh, areas well, in sorry that was a juicy case it was quite it it had the big yacht that's the thing that's that's going to get the headlines mm. yeah um, exactly and then in dispute inheritance a little bit similar but you're looking at the deceased and, the, and their estate and it, it always comes down like a divorce to somebody who is, doesn't have full access to information and therefore doesn't know if the position that they're in and what they're being offered is, uh, I'm going to say good enough, but it is it, their fair what choice, they were expecting. Say. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So you're trying to kind of reconstruct somebody's estate at the point that they died, or if there's a sort of thought that other family members might have gotten in there first or certain assets would have been transferred over to them, then you're looking back for a certain amount of time at transferal of assets to other members of the family. Um, and that can be on a, on a very big scale, sort of looking at everything, or it can be on a smaller scale where you're dealing with maybe a smaller estate or a portion of an estate. Like I knew X had a business. I think somebody else has taken it over or, um, yeah, you're looking at, at very sort of singular transactions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, I've, I've come across that slightly where, you know, it's like, I knew my husband worked out in this country, he must have a pension in that country at some point, And that's not on the for me right now. So what can we do about it? Um, so that's yeah. kind of one thing where they'll be like, shush, don't talk about that pension. I thought it was fine. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, damn, yeah. it is a legal then- requirement to do your um, full disclosure as part of uh, the process of divorce. And so it is, yeah, something that 
I think some people think they can get away with. Yeah, particularly and where I tend to work a lot is where you've got very international families or one partner is particularly international because that can kind of feed that concern that somebody is hiding something, sometimes really quite legitimately because the other party doesn't have insight, is not there, doesn't really know what's going on. And then you're working within the context of a relationship that's kind of irretrievably broken down. Your capacity to assume the worst of your partner will never have been higher. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's and and so I think that's also quite a helpful um, sideline into what is the ecosystem then that you work with. We've touched on the solicitors, but what other parties might you um, you know for a joined up approach around the, the client? What other parties would you tend to work with? Uh, reputation managers. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was saying earlier about um, you know stories going out about a client, or if a client is going to start doing something that's going to elevate their um you know their publicity and their public position and start you know to get journalists really interested in who they are or what they're doing and that can be fundraising or a really big acquisition or movement into a new jurisdiction um where i've worked previously tends to be in that kind of trifecta of investigators lawyers and uh prs and reputation managers then in terms of being brought in or being introduced that will be through really anyone that kind of works in that kind of private client space so yes lawyers from disputes through to tax immigration but also private bankers wealth advisors um yeah reputation pr people um it really sort of depends on who who has the relationship and therefore is going to be that person where someone says i've got a problem and can you help yeah, so I guess, would they traditionally go to the solicitor first saying there's this issue and then they would be like, just as the girl and she's going to fix us? Yes. Yeah. So In short. Happens. In short, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm conscious we're coming up to time and I want to just pick your brains on the three top tips or resources that you would have to take away for anybody who might either fancy this as a career I think because you've mentioned that right at the start and secondly on anyone who might think that something is untoward whether it is through a divorce or an inheritance and and what practical steps they can take to resolve it. Okay um so for anyone wanting to join the industry it's so much more open than it was when I first joined so when I first joined people were coming in through introductions friends family that kind of thing but now there are internships that are being given out by um, investigations firms. A lot of firms are listed on who's who legal or chambers, for example, or in spheres. So you can search intentionally for investigations firm and get a good list of who's out there and have a look. I would say if anyone really is interested, intern both at a very big consultancy but also in a boutique because the work's very different um and you'll get a good you know like the difference between i don't know going to a massive asset manager and a small one of like 10 people in mayfair different vibe different (laughs) different different um so that's the first thing on on the industry get some exposure to it um and then for clients or potential clients who think something is up If you've already engaged solicitors, go and talk to them because they will probably know investigators or have investigators that they've worked with quite often and can put you in touch with 
you know, with a few who almost like a beauty parade. Um, I've done this now I've got my details who come and talk to me. Um, But if you've got those same clients, if you've also got other advisors that you use, not just legal, but if you've got a private banker, for example, or a wealth manager, talk to them too, because they also might have um, a good referral or a good introduction. Most problems if it is something like an inheritance or a dispute they are very private and they are very personal and it's not something that somebody just wants to go and talk about to a total stranger that they found on google so being able to find sorry recommendations always when it's yeah recommend recommendations from other professionals who are better placed to know investigators yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I think, yeah, anything that you're dealing with, which is high conflict and high value, always get somebody who's recommended. Don't just Google them um, because you never know what or who or, you know, it's not possibly never what it says on the tin. Um, no. And I'd always give Jess, obviously. Um, but yeah, thank you so, so much. This is really enlightening. Um, I'm super excited um, about all the things you're doing to champion the industry um, and, and make waves. So thank you so much for being here, Jess, and for everybody who has tuned in. And I'll pop Jess's details on so you can get hold of her as well. But thank you all and have a wonderful afternoon and go and enjoy the sunshine. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. See you later. thanks so much for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as we did if you can think of anybody else who would benefit from listening too please share it with them using the social media buttons on this page and don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes too for further resources make sure you're following us on instagram at the jura society And don't forget to sign up to our quarterly newsletter, The Wealth and Wellness Edit, where you'll be the first to gain access to our in-person talks, events, and much, much more. Until next time, see you later. Bye-bye.